Welcome to Future of Tech, hosted by Avishai Sharlin, Division President of Amdocs Technology. In this podcast, Avishai sits down with some of the most innovative minds in technology to learn how they are disrupting the present and what kind of impact they hope to have in the future. From the machine learning programs that are solving some of the world's biggest problems to what AI can do to help fight biological bottlenecks in human thinking, no topic is off limits. So sit back, relax, and maybe take some notes because what you hear on this show might just be a glimpse into the future. Alex Howland is not a software developer. He's not particularly interested in gaming and his background in tech is, well, non-existent. So how then did Alex find himself co-founding Verbella and working on the cutting edge of virtual reality? On this episode of Future of Tech, we'll find out as Alex takes us through his journey from organizational psychologist into the tech world. And he'll let us in on the secrets of how experiential learning is playing a role in what the future of virtual reality will look like. So what will it look like? Will we all be wearing VR headsets in the years to come? Alex has the answers and the explanations. He talks about the rise of gamified VR and how it's being used in military settings to train soldiers. And he dives into how virtual worlds and experiences are now being used across enterprise companies and in the education system to bring a sense of togetherness to an increasingly work-from-home focused world. Enjoy this episode. Future of Tech is brought to you by Amdocs Tech. Amdocs Tech is Amdocs's R&D and technology center, paving the way to a better connected future by creating open, innovative, best-in-class products and continuously evolving the way we work, learn, and live. To learn more about Amdocs, visit the Amdocs technology page on LinkedIn. I'd like to welcome Alex, uh, officially, to our uh, Future of Tech Neo, Neo episode, we are going to speak about uh, many cool things. So first of all, welcome, Alex. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Maybe the best way to start would be by you walking us through like a very short uh, explanation about what is the landscape of uh, virtual reality, some basics uh, around it so, so the audience will understand what are we going to talk about today. Yeah, so uh, virtual reality has been around for quite some time, but seems to really be a, a hot topic again over the last few years. I think really kind of codified by you know the Facebook's acquisition of, of Oculus that got a lot of excitement in this idea of, of better headsets that are affordable were quite exciting. And, and we saw many big and small investments uh, into the virtual reality space over the last number of, of years. Uh, and it's, it's quite exciting, but taking, I think, a lot longer than most anticipated for adoption uh, in var- various areas. So we see uh, certainly a lot of virtual reality in, in gaming, where it's had some, some traction and some success. But also what we're seeing is a lot of adoption in enterprise or in military applications. Uh, so I think Maybe gaming adoption, while it's been the largest area of adoption, 
hasn't grown as, as fast as expected, but areas that are really starting to get traction are, you know, enterprise and, and military kind of training, training applications. Okay, we'll speak more about this probably uh, soon. So uh, just to, uh, again, as kind of the introductory, how do you find yourself in virtual reality? Yeah, almost by accident. So uh, my background is actually as an organizational psychologist. I'm not a gamer. Uh, I'm not a software developer. Uh, I didn't know much about uh, virtual reality when I got in, into the business. But as an organizational psychologist, you know, one thing that we care about are things like experiential learning and communities of learners learning. Uh, so I got interested in using virtual reality as a platform for experiential learning, where people could practice skills that they needed in, in the real world in a kind of make-believe world in, in virtual reality. And some of the advantages there are you could connect people from different parts of the world into an immersive space together without having to bring them together. And you could do things that are too risky to do or practice you know, in, in the real world. You can do things like speed up uh, time uh, and simulate things that are hard to do in, in, in the physical world. I saw lots of kind of limitations to typical online learning where it's often passive and just listening to the subject matter expert or, or reading or watching videos. You know, how do we give folks an opportunity to actually experience the learning process, you know, kind of with, with their hands physically, with all senses, uh, and saw virtual reality as, as a vehicle to get that experiential learning and that those, those collaborative learning environments uh, cultivating. You know, it's, it's quite funny because I, I'm doing this podcast for a few years already, and there is quite a lot of uh, psychology background people that are finding their way eventually to the high-tech industry. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, is it because there is no uh, room for psychologists out there or is it? Uh... <laughs> uh, yeah, so I started uh, my company while I was pursuing my PhD in organizational psychology. And some things yet I was thinking about is how to differentiate myself, you know, from the folks that had, you know, 20, 30 years, you know, of experience, you know, in the field, you know, doing, you know, business coaching or consulting, uh, those sorts of things and, and thought, how could I differentiate myself as, as kind of a, a newbie, right? So, saw again, virtual reality as a differentiator, you know, an emerging tech that could have, you know, great impact uh, in areas of leadership development, remote, you know, education, the ability to practice kind of leadership uh, skills. So, again, I, I think that was my personal journey. I, I can't speak more broadly uh, for the psychology field. Actually, I should say some of my, I should say are in my co-founders, a psychologist as well. Some of our, our visions stem from what clinical psychologists were doing in, in virtual reality. You know, they were doing therapy, things like exposure therapy or, or, you know, treating folks with agoraphobia who couldn't leave their house to go to therapy. They were meeting in, in a virtual house and in platforms like Second Life. And, through exposure to practice leaving their, their virtual house, the psychologists found that they'd have success to the point where they could get their patients to, to leave their, their actual physical house. Uh, so I think there, there's some important early wins with virtual reality in the, in the psychology field that make it interesting. Yeah, it is very interesting. How do you find if you, you mentioned, you know, the, uh, the phenomena as a whole, but how did you find COVID contributing to, uh, 
to virtual reality, if at all? Yeah, certainly in in our business, it, it had big impact. To give you a sense, my team went from 20 folks to about 190 over the last you know 14 months. Uh, and you know what I, what I felt is people who you know saw our products pre-COVID who might have said this is the dumbest idea <laughs> I've ever seen were suddenly saying, oh my gosh, this is the most innovative idea you know I've ever seen. How, how did you you know come up with this and predict uh, COVID, which of course I, I did not. Uh, but yeah, we, we saw lots of impacts uh, in, in our business and using virtual worlds and virtual reality for remote events and giving people an experience of being together and kind of going to event rather than just, you know, listening to a webinar. We saw a lot of more folks, obviously everyone shifted to remote work. So a lot of folks were looking for innovative ways to, to still kind of cultivate culture uh, and have that sense of of water cooler while working remotely. So we have many people in our our virtual worlds doing uh, remote work. And then the other, you know, I think obvious area is uh, education, where that all went remote as well. And while Zoom was certainly uh, successful and helpful in that online education, you know, we have things like Zoom fatigue. We have things where again, it's very kind of passive and in one directional on a Zoom where in virtual worlds, virtual reality, people have more autonomy to move about where they want, interact with, with objects. Uh, it's 3D spatialized voice. So you can have kind of water cooler talk, many different dynamic conversations going on at once, whether it's a one-on-one or you know attending a lecture with a, a thousand people. Uh, that was all possible in, in a virtual reality world. Fascinating. So help me out here. Let's maybe take it one step at a time. So I can envision something like a game, you know, like a Nintendo or an Xbox doing like virtual reality. How, how does it go in quote unquote real life? What will be the experience? Yeah. Try to visualize it to the audience. What does it mean uh, a virtual conference, which is virtual reality? Yeah, absolutely. So many people are either play video games online themselves, or maybe their kids play video games more traditional console games or maybe things like Roblox or Fortnite, you know, on, on mobile or, you know, an iPad or, or something like that. Yeah. Some might be getting, you know, fully immersed in, in VR to do that, but there's immersion, whether it's kind of in 2D mode without the headsets or with the headset. So obviously that community is coming together for games. And I think what we saw, particularly with youth, uh, throughout COVID is those games became more important than just games. It's where kids and some ad- many adults were going to also socialize. They were going for the community that was there in the game. And that became, that community element became just as important or maybe even more important than the game itself. So when we think about, you know, applying these technologies to enterprise for events or, or for co-working, what are some of the, the tools that are available in these platforms? One is it's kind of a community. It's an open, living, breathing community that you don't necessarily have to schedule. You can schedule a, you know, a, a time for a meeting or whatnot, but you can also have collisions there. Uh, so people can kind of come in and out of this virtual environment you know, w- when they please uh, or during scheduled events or, or whatever. 
and they arrive via an avatar, right? So the avatar represents themselves. And the avatar is important because it, it gives them kind of representation of, of who they are in this environment. And it also you know, gives them that autonomy that you, you kind of drive with your avatar, right? You can go to an auditorium to listen to a, a large you know, presentation. Uh, you can walk around campus and bump into friends. And because it's 3D distributed voice, you only hear the people that are around you. So you can literally kind of have those collisions interact with folks. In the event space, you know, again, I, I think most people went to kind of webinar uh, experiences and everyone got, you know, webinared out, right? Yep. And you as a participant often never opened your mouth, right? It was pure consumption of, you know, what, what the people were talking about. So in the virtual world, you can go to those, you know, big webinar type environments where it's consumption of information. But what happens kind of outside of that is much more dynamic to what can happen in a, in a physical expo hall or, you know, what happens at, you know, coffee hour dur- during event where you can walk around, you know, the campus and interact with folks and actually have community, you know, bumping into an old colleague, you know, at a conference that you haven't seen maybe since the year before at the same conference, you can actually do in virtual reality. We've also created an expo hall that looks and feels much like a physical expo hall, right? Where you can walk your avatar down corridors of exhibitors and each booth, there's private voice volumes. So the companies can actually have their staff attending their booth, just like they would in the physical space. And participants can enter that, what we call a private volume of, of voice and have a conversation about the products or services that, that the vendor is offering. Uh, so we've, we've hosted hundreds, probably thousands of events over the last year from all sorts of industry perspectives. You know, sometimes it's students presenting their research in that expo hall. Uh, we've done diversity and inclusion events where, you know, all the top, you know, top 100 companies in the world are, are recruiting, you know, folks in the DNI community. We've seen automobile companies in there, you know, you name it. You know, the, the applications, just like, you know, in, in Expo Hall in the physical world, you know, the, the same Expo Hall will, will support all sorts of industries. We can do that in, in virtual worlds or, or virtual reality as well. That was very nice. And pause here for a second and go a bit uh, to understand the technology behind the scenes. So what kind of infrastructure is needed in order to make it happen? Is it uh, all cloud-based? Do, do someone needs to have a special uh, device at home? Is it like straightforward? Yeah. So I'll talk a little bit more broadly and about our approach. Uh, you know, more broadly, there's different ways to do it. There's some great game engines. You know, Unreal and Unity are kind of the two big names in terms of the game engines that, that allow you to kind of take shortcuts in, in the development process and, you know, move, move quickly and allow you to publish to many different devices for, for different purposes. In terms of what hardware the users need to have, a lot of companies take different approaches. So there are a number of companies out there that are a VR-first company, which means to use their software, you need a virtual reality headset. We've taken a different approach and maybe a slower adoption approach to, to, to VR in that very few people actually have a VR headset at this point. Yep. So when you're marketing a, a VR product, your market is is quite limited in terms of who, who you can go after. For us, we care more about inclusivity. 
how can you bring the most amount of people, you know, together in connect? And as soon as, you know, one person's left out, the group might go back to Zoom or, or another platform where, where everyone can get in. So we target mostly commodity Mac or PCs, you know, no gaming laptop kind of required, no real special device yep. uh, required in, you know, your commodity internet is good, good enough. We have a couple of different softwares. One is a client download. So for our software that can support thousands of people at once in, in a shared environment, the internet isn't quite strong enough yet. The ecosystem's in there for all of that to happen over the web at this point. So there is a client download that you're installing into, into your machine, and then you're loading it and signing in and then interacting over the web you know, with, with voice over IP, just like we have here in Zoom. You know, there's voice over IP, but it's spatialized. Uh, so we have to build that out. You have to network, you know, where the characters are, where the avatars are in the environment. Uh, so you're, you're passing those messages over the web to those members. That client download can be a barrier. You know, you think of corporate firewalls and all, all those sorts of things. Sometimes, you know, you got to go through pretty heavy information technology infosec processes to, to get that that approved and, and whatnot yep, usually yep. We, we you know we get through you know with fairly little resistance but enough that we have also been uh, building a product called frame framevr.io that's entirely web-based uh, and it's a different kind of tech stack from from the ground up that we're experimenting really at this point how many people can we get just in a web browser? And what's nice about that is you can get in literally on any device with a web browser, right? So mobile's got a web browser, you can get into the platform. VR has, you know, embedded browsers, so you can get in on a VR headset. Obviously, you know, Mac, PC, you can get in. So our value for inclusivity is, is kind of further extended with that platform. Uh, right now, you know, the, the platform can only support about 50 people in a shared space, right? So that's a a limit at this point. But as the ecosystem improves, 5G rolls further out, we anticipate that we'll be able to get larger and larger numbers uh, just within the, the web uh, application. Good. You know, maybe, maybe more broadly than us, last thing, you know, something like Rec Room has been really successful in, in kind of the entertainment space in virtual reality. They started as kind of a pure virtual reality platform. And since realized that, hey, not that many people have VR headsets, you know, at this point. So they now support, you know, a, a 2D mode as well. So I think that's, that's fairly common. So overall, if you look at the uh, VR industry and the changes throughout the years, how would you, um, you know, kind of characterize the different steps it went through, uh, through the history or through the last few years? Yeah. So I'll speak, you know, to the last 10 years. I think there's a lot of history in VR, you know, 20, 20, 30 years before that, that truthfully, I won't pretend to be all that up to date on. But, you know, I, I think in the early mid 2000s, uh, we saw things like Second Life come around, which, which wasn't fully immersive VR, but it was a virtual world. And, you know, a lot of companies signed up to have, you know, their Second Life offices and, and those sorts of things. The ecosystem wasn't ready for it, right? We didn't have the bandwidth yet for reliable connections. Yeah. And basically, you know, too many people couldn't get on. Uh, so you either had to expend, you know, spend really heavily on, on hardware and internet connections that could support it, 
or it wasn't going to be successful. Obviously, the technology has come, come a long way. And what groups like the Oculus and HTC Vive have done is made virtual reality headsets affordable. That's kind of relatively speaking, right? I think three to five years ago, they weren't you know, cheap enough. <laughs> you know, there were still thousands of dollars. You still had to connect to high-end computer laptops. As we're getting to standalone devices like the Oculus that you don't have to, you know, tether to any, any machine or anything. And I think it's a couple hundred bucks, you know, now, uh, two, three hundred dollars, it becomes more accessible. Uh, and as it becomes more accessible, you know, the, the adoption starts to go up. So, you know, if you look at Oculus headset sales, they are, they're certainly going the right direction. And I think never increasing faster trajectory, just nowhere near the trajectory that was anticipated two, three years ago. So probably like uh, most, most new technologies, right? It goes through a, a hype cycle. Uh, everyone thinks it's, it's going to be the next you know, big thing immediately. And it goes over that hype cycle. You get a lot of invested dollars into the market and a few, you know, many companies you know, fail through, through that hype process and a few come out you know, the other side and then the you know, the market grows from there. So we're certainly still quite bullish that it, it's going to be a fast growing market, just not as fast as, you know, some, some anticipated. So, you know, I've been at it for, you know, about 10 years now, and I definitely had fears along the way where we'd see much better funded companies, you know, come into the game and it seemed quite threatening uh, to, to us. But they almost raised too much too fast, right? And they didn't get the adoption they needed by the time they were running out of their, their funds. So timing's an important you know, piece here, I, I think, in general. Like everything else in life. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so I've also seen that you're um, very, I would call it, um, keen about education. Can you explain to me why... Uh, virtual reality is so relevant to education and how exactly it kind of helps the, um, the educational market. Yeah, absolutely. So let's first think about, you know, the benefits of in-person education. You know, what I often found in, in my education career was I was learning just as much from my peers as I was from, you know, the teacher at, at the front of the room. You know, your peers might, you know, talk you through an issue that the teacher, you know, couldn't, couldn't explain in a way that made sense to, to you. You know, you bounce ideas off of each other. You might explore, you know, a, a problem together and work through it together. And you get value from that community of, of learning where it's not just coming from a singular person. So one area that's quite important and foundational to the work that we do is the sense of communities of learners where you don't just learn from the subject matter experts, but you build community that can support each other in their, in their learning journey. And by creating you know, platforms in, in virtual reality, you can bring people together and immerse them, right? Give them that feeling of literally being together in quite dynamic ways, you know, as we do in, in the physical world. So that's one big element, community of learning. The next one is experiential learning, both in terms of maybe hard skills and soft skills. So 
let's start maybe with the easy one, hard skills. We can do things in virtual reality that you could never do, you know, in even in the physical classroom, right? We could do a field trip, you know, to Mars to, to learn about Mars in, in virtual reality in a way that, you know, you certainly couldn't do in a classroom. You can go on a trip, you know, to the Civil War, you know, to, to learn about the Civil Civil War, right? So we can make the learning engagement, I think, much deeper and immersive that's going to tap into our memory in a way that is much greater than, you know, just... Engage your senses in a deeper way. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Which is going to, you know, I think impact your, your memory of the education as well. There's also the physicality, right? Being embodied in, in virtual reality, we can use our, our hands, right? We can use our head and look around. We can manipulate, you know, objects. Uh, so we've done things like replica of a fulfillment center, right? Think of a really large e-commerce company that has, you know, a fulfillment center with boxes, you know, going, going through it. It's too expensive to take down, you know, the line, right? To train on something, or it's too dangerous to light a machine on fire, right? To practice what is the proper procedure if this thing catches on fire. But in virtual reality, we can simulate those things in, in a safe way. So they get the experiential, right? They're actually doing what they're supposed to, the kinesthetics behind the learning that needs to happen. Again, which, you know, in our learning science, we know leads to better retention and more likely to get it right, you know, if it were to happen in the physical world. My background often in, in leadership development, I was quite interested in, in soft skill development, things like cultural intelligence and emotional intelligence, how we handle risk, how we handle stress and, and time pressures. And those things, we can set up simulations in virtual reality as well and put people together you know, on teams or competitively in that environment. And they're immersed, right? They, they get you know, competitive, just like you'd get competitive in a baseball game or a basketball game or in video games. They get competitive in these business-oriented you know, simulations. And what we see is real personality you know, come out. Rather than doing an interview with someone, you can see how they can interact when there are many variables going on. They're trying to you know, perform in, in the simulation from a you know, business results perspective. They're trying to show their leadership skills. They're actually interacting with people from different cultures and in different parts of the world, right? So it's putting all these kind of complex variables at play, but in a safe environment where they can practice those you know, maybe softer skills or, or leadership skills in the environment. And, you know, folks like organizational psychologists or whatnot can observe that, that behavior and give feedback based on, on those behaviors for professional growth. You know, so it's one thing to read about emotional intelligence, right? It's another to be, you know, immersed in, in activities that are going to challenge your emotional intelligence in one way or the other and give you an opportunity to reflect and get feedback based on how you showed up and how it relates to, to the topic. So I think we can do some really deep learning in those areas. Was, you know, that leadership development was a big part of, of our you know, founding story. We, we pivoted a bit, but an area that I still have a lot of, a lot of interest. Yeah, kind of blurring the lines between a game and reality, but uh, yeah, I clearly understand that. Now, two years ago, more or less, came COVID. And how did this affect... Uh, 
the overall eco- ecosystem because all of us started using Zoom, right. um, you know, coffee houses and other uh, cool apps. Do you see those as competing technologies or complementary technologies or? I think they're complementary personally, and there's, you know, different values to, to each. Right now, you and I are looking at each other's, you know, faces and there's value. We, we've never met in person. So it's, it's great to, to see you and, and see your facial expressions. I don't get that I'm in the same room as you, right? I know we're on Zoom and we're in, you know, two different places. So there's value. I, you know, I see your actual being. We get to connect eye contacts a, a bit off, right? Hard to do eye contact in Zoom, but, you know, certainly see, see value, value here. In virtual reality or, or virtual worlds, we're often not looking at each other's kind of real faces, but rather avatars. But ironically, you know, our brains work quite differently in the sense that we actually start to feel like we're in the phys- same physical space. We feel like we are literally physically together. The analogy I use is, is you know, reading a book versus watching a movie, right? When we read a book, we don't focus on the black and the white on the paper, but rather we get immersed in the story. Very similar approach in, in virtual reality where, you know, we, we feel present in, in the story. We get fully immersed and have that sense of togetherness. So some examples of it, you know, shining through personal space matters, right? If you get, you know, even in a 2D mode without a VR headset, if you get your avatar too close to another person, it feels just as uncomfortable uh, or almost as uncomfortable as getting too close to someone in the physical world. Others examples we've seen is, you know, people sitting in the same seats all the time, <laughs> you know, just like you would, you know, in a classroom, you might always have a, a favorite seat. When we have board meetings or whatever in the virtual world, people are naturally, you know, develop habits, right? And, and they go to maybe the, the same seat, which gives them a sense of psychological safety, you know, a sense of, of comfort of, you know, how they like to, to show up uh, and you get that, that sense of, of presence. So, you know, I, I see them as complementary platforms. I, I think a lot of people jump to Zoom because, you know, they were under <laughs> pressure in the, in the fire and it was what was known, right? And proven and, you know, well-known. So everyone jumped in Zoom, but here a year later, 15, 16 months later, you know, people are saying, you know, there's got to be more than this, right? It can't just be Zoom. You know, people are Zoom fatigue, you know, cultures, you know, suffering of, of we don't have the sense of place, you know, together. Uh, it's difficult to use our spatial memories that we use in, in the physical office. So I think we'll start to see, we are certainly seeing a lot more experimentation in virtual reality for, for various reasons uh, in education and in, in enterprise. But I, I think you'll see more and more of that uh, experimentation happening. And I think there's going to be a ton of failures and, and a ton of successes, right? And there's going to be a lot of iteration and, and how to get the you know, experience right for, for the right you know, reasons to use one technology or, or the other. Based on your experience, can you share with uh, someone who just listened to us and he says, okay, why won't I try it? What are the, you know, the do's and don'ts if he wants to have a successful uh, virtual reality conference? Yeah. So I think there's, you know, easy ways to, you know, get started and experiment. You know, I, I think there's a lot of free options to, to dabble. 
we have free versions of both the Verbella platform and the, the Frame platform where you can just you know download or, or go to the web and get in there and invite some colleagues, right? And just have a little play, you know, check it out, get a tour, walk around, whether you have a device or not, you know, you'd start just on your, on your PC if you wanted. If you want to get a, a VR headset, again, they're, they're getting cheaper in, in price. You can go out and get a headset and there are free games or activities or, or places that, that you can check out. I say, you know, give it, give it a go. And, you know, if there's a specific event that, that you want to try or, or do, uh, again, there's a number of platforms that they could try it. Obviously, I'm biased uh, towards uh, Verbella in, in frame. But we have campuses that are dedicated just to events, and we have staff that walk you through the process, help all your presenters get you know, set up and prepped before the event. And then they support the event the day of you know, the, the same way as you'd have event staff at a, at a physical location. So don't, don't go at it you know, just alone. You know, find some folks who, who have some expertise in, in running it, just like anything you know, it takes a little bit of practice. It takes a little bit of expertise and also creativity and how to leverage it to the best of its capabilities, right? If you use virtual reality and just do a webinar type experience, your attendees are going to say, couldn't we have just done this in Zoom? You know, and the answer is yes. <laughs> and it might've been, you know, more affordable and, and a better experience. But if you leverage things like an expo hall, you know, the ability to have an after party and, and, you know, we hired DJ Jazzy Jeff to come to our speakeasy and, and do a set and all the avatars are, are dancing together. Use an expo hall where people can wander the halls and really connect. The more creative you get with it, the, the more return you get from it. So now I would like to ask you a tough question using your uh, psychological background. Um, you can relate to people who find virtual reality as something annoying or um, something that they are against in terms of, uh, you know, dragging us to a virtual world instead of using the, um, you know, the physical presence of one another? Yeah. So everyone with COVID has gone to basically fully remote work, right? And now as we're coming out of COVID, right, people are either going to stay fully remote they're going to go back into the office or they're going to do a hybrid model. And my prediction is that the hybrid model is going to be the hardest out of all of those uh, options. So getting hybrid right is going to be tough. Meanwhile, I think if you go back to the office, right, which I think a lot of companies will, will probably try to push for, right, I think you're less competitive, right? There's employees have seen that they can be productive while working remote. Many have already, you know, left, you know, big cities to, to live closer to family or, or live where the cost of living is, is cheaper. And they're going to be more likely to, you know, be attracted to companies that have a remote work or, or at least a hybrid work environment. So with anything in life, right, people are resistant to change. COVID accelerated change, you know, probably 10, 15 years uh, in a direction it, it would have gone probably anyway, but, but taken a long time. And how we handle the aftermath, I think, is going to be, you know, quite, 
quite interesting. And I think there's lots of opportunity for disruption and innovation. I think a number of companies are, are kind of going to get it wrong or stumble. Um, but I see a lot of innovation happening in terms of how do we do hybrid or how do we better do fully remote beyond, you know, just the, the Zooms of the world. So, you know, resistance to change will, will continue to occur, but economic pressures will, will force, you know, innovation in those who are resistant to change to either change or struggle. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I can relate maybe to the economical aspects that you've mentioned, but I still want to argue that there are also behavioral uh, aspects and, and, you know, us being part of a social being, of which course. are getting yeah. harmed from the fact that we don't see each other and we don't spend time together. What, what about those? Yeah. So I think, you know, that's an area where, where hybrid is helpful, right? You know, I just attended, just got back from, you know, my first conference uh, since, since COVID, my first live conference down in, you know, Orlando and uh, our team members are all over the country, but we have now about, you know, 10, 10 folks uh, in the Orlando area. You know, so I got them together for a dinner last night and, you know, as a virtual reality guy, it was great to get together, you know, uh, with these colleagues and, and have a face-to-face, you know, yeah. break, break bread. It was fantastic. But now as I'm back, you know, and we're all remote, we'll be that much closer in the virtual world with our avatars. So it's not a matter of we need to be there five days a week. I think with a five-day-a-week option, what you, what you see often is people come in and, and go to their respective offices or cubicles and put their earbuds in or whatever and put their heads down and do their individual work. Sometimes they're meeting with someone you know, just down the hall and it's, and it's still virtual. And then you have many companies that are across offices anyway, right? So you have these kind of subcultures within your larger organization at these respective locations, which doesn't necessarily lead to a, a united uh, company-wide wide culture. So as we get better, I think, at the virtual piece and where virtual is actually the hub, right, and these different locations are the spokes, you're going to be more likely to build a united kind of core company culture system-wide with that approach than, you know, focusing on, on those sub-pockets of, of physical, physical spaces. So, yeah, certainly lots of kind of behaviors to figure out. When I say, you know, I see hybrid being a challenge, you know, some of the challenges are how often is enough, you know, to, to get together. And if you say it's twice a week, well, okay, now you're requiring your staff to live local to that area because you're probably not flying people in, you know, twice a week. So you've, you've just limited the freedom of your employees in terms of their flexibility and where they can live, right? So if, if you can figure out the kind of fully remote element and maybe get together once a quarter, once a year, not sure what exact you know, amount of time is, right? Now you can recruit from, from anywhere, right? And you can be in different markets and get people from different cultures, you know, those sorts of things. There's no way, you know, we, we really usually started in, in San Diego and a lot of our employees pre-COVID were in San Diego with a handful of remote. If we tried to go from 20 employees to 190 in the past year, just within San Diego, there's no way we could have done it, you know, in terms of finding the right talent, you know, for, for, you know, price tag and competitive landscape and, and those sorts of things, being able to, you know, hire remote was a, was a big help. 
So you probably read the player number one or saw the movie. Yes. If you're looking like uh, fast forward 10 years, 20 years, uh, is this the uh, future that we're expected to live in or? I think there's a, <laughs> there's a blend. <laughs> uh, obviously, there's quite a bit of uh, Hollywood, you know, uh, in, in the, the book and in the movie. Uh, but I do see greater blend between the physical world and the virtual world. You know, I, I think uh, our now sister company is an interesting one. Uh, it's called EXP Realty. They're a residential real estate company. They focus on real estate, physical <laughs> brick and mortar real estate, but yet their headquarters is in a virtual world. They have no physical headquarters and they are a multi-billion dollar company. You know, they've grown from a thousand agents to over 55,000 agents in the last five years, fastest growing residential real estate company in the country. Their business model simply wouldn't work if they were paying for brick and mortar offices, right? So it's a way to really differentiate. And they do all their collaboration all the way up to their board meetings and C-suite meetings to agent recruiting in their virtual worlds. And that allows them to be in every market immediately. They've expanded to, I think, 14 new countries in the past year. And their headquarters is already in you know, those, those countries because... Their headquarters is in the cloud. They've won uh, best places to work, I think, the last four or five years running from, from Glassdoor because they have that united culture where people come together and feel present you know, in, in the company headquarters with a very distributed you know, audience a, across the country and now much of the, the globe. So it's an example of a business that sells thing, real things in the physical world houses, uh, but operates their business in the virtual world and have been able to become a real money, multi-billion dollar you know, company by, by doing it. So I think you're going to see more success cases like that. I think it's going to take, we'd like it to happen a, a lot faster, but given you know, the behavioral <laughs> psychology elements that you were referencing, I, I think there'll be lots of resistance to it for some time but you'll see seeds of experimentation happening in getting legs and in growing. So we, we have you know, hundreds of those kind of seed ideas with, with hundreds of companies now doing various things from events to executive leadership development with Stanford to you know, recruiting events uh, uh, around the world, like one of the big four consulting companies is, is doing at the moment in the platform. So again, you'll, you'll see lots of experimentation in, in figuring it out. The technology, including ours, is, is still has a long way to go too, right? We're, we're early in the process of, of kind of figuring it all out. Computer hardware will keep getting better. Internet will get better. And uh, companies like ours will keep designing better, more user-friendly software uh, that supports you know, the effectiveness and efficiencies that, that are required and the ease of use will be there where it's very accessible. People from all ages and in different kind of tech, tech capabilities uh, as, as we move forward. Nice. We might not live there, but I think we're, we're seeing seedlings of, of uh, evidence that it's, that it's quite, quite possible. I think on the other end of the spectrum is what, what happens in defense. We're seeing some really, really robust training, you know, simulations in, in virtual reality that are, they seem expensive to build now, uh, but they'll save 
on money in casualties, you know, significantly uh, as that technology keeps getting better and, and rolled out. Yeah. Now you have, uh, you know, a very, uh, I would say many, many different career uh, routes. You, you, you spoken about your education and the fact that you've done uh, uh, psychology and you looked into um, other areas. I'm interested to, to pick your brain and your experience as an entrepreneur. What is your, you know, something that you can share as an entrepreneur from your experience about lessons and, and important takes for the people that are listening to us? It's funny. I, I got a PhD and, and I started a company. And if you told me I had to start over with either one and ask me if I'd do it again, I'm not sure I'd say uh, yes to, to either. Uh, certainly an emotional roller coaster, uh, the entrepreneurial uh, experience, one that's incredibly rewarding, mostly in terms of the learning journey. You know, still to this day, 10 years in, I feel very green and like I have a, a ton to, to learn. But each, each year in my entrepreneurial experience, I can look back on what I knew then versus what I know now and feel so appreciative for that really experiential learning, right? That learning by doing that I've done you know, over, over the course of, of the years. And uh, it's, you know, I, I teared up a bit meeting some of the employees last night at, at dinner you know, one who, who said, hey, thank you for, you know, founding this company. I've never been able to work fully remote. You've, you've changed my life. You know, I love the culture here. And, you know, this is, you know, the best experience I've had. You know, those are, those are the scenarios that, you know, get me rejuvenated, you know, e- each day when, you know, I might be, you know, feeling down or feeling we're not growing as fast as we want, or, you know, there's, you know, someone's, you know, a customer's maybe unhappy or, or an employee, you know, all the, all the challenges that come with entrepreneurship and, and bringing something new to bear. Uh, that challenge is a lot of fun. The iteration is a lot of fun. Trying to build a, a team and build culture is fun. You know, the, the need to change with every, you know, kind of milestone in the company, you know, managing 20 folks is a lot different than managing 190 folks. So going through some of those learning pains, you know, at the moment and, and how do I change my leadership style and, and policies and procedures, you know, that we despise when we were 20 or, are now, you know, more important. It's a lot of fun, but it's also a big sacrifice. You know, I got a, a family, I got a two-year-old and one on the way. And, you know, even when you're physically with them, oftentimes mentally, you're, you're still with, with the business, your, your other baby. So that's a, that's a, certainly a challenge in, in balancing with the entrepreneurial endeavors. So the psychologist in me says, you know, get, get ready for a, a roller coaster of emotions, uh, not just in the you know, first year or two, but, but throughout the journey in, in here, 10 years in, I very much still feel like a, a startup with, with a startup mentality with, with a long way to go. And how do you find this combination? Is it something that you will uh, shoot someone who's now studying uh, technology go and, 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 and experiment in psychology or should someone who is doing psychology go and go and <laughs> yeah. experiment with technology? Yeah. Is this something that you will uh, recommend? Yeah. One of my colleagues says, you know, business is easy if people weren't involved. Right? Uh, if you're getting into business, right, you know, whether you know it or not, there's a, a ton of psychology elements at, at play. 
And I think there's, uh, you know, a lot better psychological practitioners out there who've never gotten any type of degree in psychology than, than myself, who's got a, you know, a PhD in the field. So I think there's a lot of different ways to, you know, learn the psychology. And I think we see psychology more and more in technology, things like human computer, you know, interaction and what's learned by UX designers and, you know, even marketers, right. In terms of, you know, understanding how people buy, how, you know, how, why they spend money, their connection to a brand. You know, I think psychology, you know, touches so many, you know, different, different fields that that's, you're bound to get acquainted with it in, in some way or, or another. For me, someone who, you know, can't write a line of code, you know, has no previous uh, business experience. For me, it's all about, you know, surrounding myself with, with great teammates and, and treating them respectively and, you know, making sure they're, they're getting the right, you know, rewards in, in that process and trying to, you know, cultivate, say, a culture that they enjoy being in and, and painting a vision that they can get excited about and want to work towards. And if you can get those things kind of dialed in, those partners and employees or, or mentors uh, will help you, help you down your path. Alex, it was a pleasure talking to you. Um, I really enjoyed the time. I think it was a fascinating uh, discussion, understanding uh, both the history of the field, but also uh, getting to, uh, to know you as a person and to understand the uh, difficulties of being an entrepreneur on one hand, but the joy of creation and making something different for humankind and, the, uh, and creating something uh, as a business on one end, but also as a, a groundbreaking uh, technology that can change the way we work, the way we uh, educate our kids and collaborate between ourselves. Um, I want to thank you. And uh, hopefully, you know, uh, see you face to face in the near future. <laughs> Absolutely. I appreciate you uh, having me. It's been a pleasure. Great, great discussion. Take care. Thanks for listening to Future of Tech. If you like what you heard and want more, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you have any comments or questions, feel free to write to our host, Avishai Sharlin, directly on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.